Dedication comes through desperation. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Hi there, and thank you for being with us today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us in a moment and continue his new study of 1 Samuel. You know, there are many wonderful people to learn about in God's Word, great men of faith and action that God used, like David and the Apostle Paul, men who gave their lives for the gospel, like Stephen. Today, we'll again look at the life and times of a woman of God named Hannah. She had some serious trials in her life, not the least of which was her inability to have a child. Here's Pastor Ed with her story in 1 Samuel 1. We meet Samuel by the end of our chapter today, a man that God used to build a bridge in a critical time in Israel's history. He was the last of the judges and the first of a new line of prophets after Moses. Uh, Samuel was, was such a powerful prophet that he actually establishes a school to train prophets. And he's used by God to anoint two kings at a time in Israel's history of great uncertainty and sinful instability. Listen, just as a side note, I want you to know that sin will always bring instability in your life. There isn't a stability that comes by choosing compromise, and there's not a stability that comes by choosing a shortcut, and there's not a stability, obviously, that comes through disobedience. And the nation of Israel, coming through the time and the years of the judges, instability and insincerity and uncertainty. God will use Samuel during that time in a nation to give strong spiritual leadership, to give direction and help and stability in a very unstable time. So by way of review, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1, that we looked at in depth in our introduction last time. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathayam Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, and the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraim, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. And then we addressed that. For those of you that are new, we addressed that last time in our study. We just started the book of 1 Samuel, so you can catch up with us, because this is our second study in the book. The man had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he'd give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. We also looked at that in depth last time. and encourage you to pick up the study. And our rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year that she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. We saw five people introduced and only three we spent some time on. We're going to spend more time on two of them, Eli 
or actually six if you count Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. We'll look at them as they come up later in the book of 1 Samuel. But our focus last time was on these three people that God's going to use providentially in his plan. He'll use these three people to bring Samuel into the world. First, there's Elkanah. He's a man who loves God, worships him regularly, and made the sinful mistake of marrying two wives. Next, Peninnah, his wife, has won the one at this point that has been blessed according uh, to the scriptures to, at the end of verse 4, she had sons and daughters, multiple kids, and even uses the word all her sons and daughters. Then we meet Hannah, his second wife, who's full of sorrow and sadness, unable to conceive a child, and yet more importantly in this, we also were introduced in verse 3 to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, Yahweh. Jehovah Sabaoth. This is the first time this is used to describe in over 300 times in the Bible the powerful sovereignty of God, this Lord of hosts. If we just focus, and this is a principle for us in our own lives, if we just focus on the people and we just focus on the problems and we just focus on the brokenness of situations, I guarantee that we will leave and stay in a state of discouragement. We will stay in a state of uncertainty. We'll, you know, as we looked, we looked at a couple hard things. We had to pause. We had to look at this whole matter of bigamy or polygamy and we ask the question why does God why some people will come to this and why does God approve of bigamy he doesn't the Bible just describes it for what it is this is strictly clearly condemned not only in teaching but it's also condemned in the order of creation it's condemned in the Old Testament it's condemned in the New Testament however there's brokenness and we could spend and I think many people do their whole life arguing something like this and crafting of argument and seeking to convince people that God shouldn't approve of polygamy. Even though he doesn't, it's easy to get sidetracked on it when you just focus on the problem. It is a problem. It's clearly a problem. And poor Hannah and Peninnah and Elkanah are paying the price for it. He's created a rivalry in his house. He has created a difficulty for his own life. He's created tension among the children. And each time you read of any type of bigamy or polygamy in the scriptures, problems always come. Why? Because it's not God's heart. And it's important for us to recognize that if our focus is only on the circumstances and the difficulties, not only will we leave discouraged and stay in a state of discouragement, but we'll be led most likely to make wrong decisions. And it is a wrong decision to exclude the Lord of hosts. Because he changes everything. Elkanah, Peninnah, Hannah are all a part of the story, the true story of bringing this miracle kid, Samuel, into the world. A miracle child that God's going to use in incredible ways. But the real focus, the real star, if you will, of the book of 1 Samuel is the same focus in every book of the Bible. The Lord of hosts. The one that's in sovereign control. And even though we are learning from the lives of ordinary men and women... That will encourage us because will encourage us because if God, if the Lord of hosts, if Yahweh will use us, he'll use them, then he'll use us. Because we can look at our own lives, and I mean we're not we don't have polygamy or bigamy in my life. You better not, just in case. You're just like, well, you know, I was watching this show on cable and it was alright for him. No, it's not alright. It's not alright. All that's it's not alright biblically, it's not alright practically, it's it's not alright. God's order and rule for marriage, we remember, very simple, right? This is the Highest, the highest goal, the highest call, the best goal that we can possibly hit is one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's marriage. There is no other variation of marriage. 
even though our culture may try to introduce other definitions. There's only one definition. God created it. God maintains it. God blesses marriage. One man, one woman, one life. So even though we're learning from lives of ordinary men, the focus is not on them. The focus is on God. We don't want to lose that. The people and the events recorded for us in the Bible are part of God's salvation history. Or sometimes people refer to history as, and maybe you've heard this before, history is sometimes restated as his, capital H-I-S, story. I mean, that's what salvation history really is. It's the story of God bringing Messiah into the world so that he might die for your sins and you and I might turn away from our sins and embrace him. And so studying Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles reveals many sins and failures on the part of God's people, but they truly teach us that God is on the throne. That what the books really teach us is that when God isn't allowed to rule, there will be seasons and times when he will overrule those that will not allow him to rule to accomplish his plan and his purpose. That God will accomplish his will. That that is a fact with or without us. And the Lord of hosts will accomplish his purposes and his will for us will be accomplished. You have to agree by the time we end these first seven verses, we have to all conclude, I hope, that Hannah is in bad shape. This is not a good place for her to be in. She's in bad shape. Not only was she barren, which was tragedy for a woman in that time period, but Peninnah made a point to provoke and taunt her and pick on her and hurt her purposely year after year. A human taking advantage of another human's weakness and then using that repetitively within a familial relationship. It's unfortunate, it's sad, it still goes on today. And Hannah's in bad shape. But that's from the human perspective. Our hearts go out to Hannah. How can you not go out? In verse 7, So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her and she wept and did not eat. How can your heart not break for a woman in this condition? How can it not just say, Whoa, whoa. Not only does she have the burden of being childless and having to face that, she also has the burden of sharing her husband with another woman. She also has the burden of being picked on and made fun of. She also has the burden of having not only picked on, I don't even know that that's the right word, I like the English word here, provoked. Provoked. She's hungry, she refuses to eat. She's bitterly weeping. This, this word in the Hebrew speaks of deep, deep crying, not just a tearing up of the eyes. I mean, this is a crushed woman. Then, verse 8, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? If you like to write notes in your Bible, next to verse 8 you can write this. Knucklehead. (laughs) Elkanah. A man of worship. A man that seeks to please and worship God was not a man of understanding with his wife Hannah. He didn't get it. What she needed was sympathetic understanding and empathy, but what she got instead was a remark that I think was given sincerely. We joke at it, and it's like, are you kidding me? We can, isn't it much easier to see sin in someone else's life than the own remarks that we would make sometimes? So we hear that, we read into it, we kind of joke and we kind of laugh, we kind of, but, but it was, I, I believe he was, he loved her. I believe he loved her and tried to say something that, you know, 
that just you don't want to say. Not wise. Didn't help. Husbands, can I just speak to you for a second? Husbands, no, and ladies, no elbows required. I will take care of it all. How careful we must be in being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to our wives in serving them. You've been wondering what to pray for in your life. You've been wondering how to bring peace into your home. You've been wondering how to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You can start with just this one thing. Pray and ask God to help you to be careful in being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to your wife. That's what Peter said. Let me give you a verse, and you can maybe even memorize this verse. Turn over, hold your places in 1 Samuel. Turn all the way over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. To a woman that's barren, to a woman that's hurting, to a woman that's being provoked, to a woman that is fasting or not simply not eating because she's tired and, and she just has no appetite because she's weeping so much and her eyes are you know, all messed up and she doesn't look like she normally would and all of the things, the last thing she needs to be told is, you know, hey, I, don't I, you know, I know you're in bad shape, but aren't I good enough? Am I, am I, am I not better to you than ten sons? You, know, you almost wish verse 9 said, Hannah yelled at her, no! You don't get it. Husbands, verse 7, did I tell you where? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I believe that what Elkanah needed is the instruction of the Holy Spirit to us right now uh, to be reminded of this important truth, husbands. And you future, you know, you single guys, you're like, that's not me. No, no, I'm preparing you for the future. Don't just check out. The Lord has marriage for you in the future. Hey, look, you need to learn this. It's better to learn it now and to pray for it now. He tells us, Peter does, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Dwell with and understand your wives. You know, I know it's a big joke. It's hard to understand my wife. No, no, the Holy Spirit will give you insight on your wife. The idea behind dwelling and understanding has the idea that you are spending a lot of time studying your wife. That's really the picture here. That, that you are at home with your wife, physically and emotionally and spiritually. I know there were seasons where, um, and probably still um, you know, in, in our lives and my marriage, where I could be there physically, but not, I'd be checked out mentally. I'd be somewhere else. And Marie and I would have to talk about that. And she'd have to show me and she'd have to tell me. Uh, I remember even a time just, just a few years ago where uh, I, I really thought that I could do two things at once. I really did. I mean, totally sincere. And the two things that I felt that I could do was talk to Marie and read my email at the same time. Or anything in front of me. Because I have a home office. Uh, I spend a majority of my study time at home. Because when I'm here, I want to be with people. I don't want to be locked in my office. So if I'm here, my office is really just to meet people. I don't do a lot of studying or reading. Because I'm always ministering to people. And I love that. So I have an office at home. And, and that way, you know, Marie has more access to me at home. So she would come in. My, my laptop would be open. And she'd tell me something. And I'd say something like, huh? What'd you say? Can you say that again? And, and for many years, she'd be very gracious with me, and she'd repeat it all over again, and we'd finally connect. And one day, I don't know what possessed her. 
One day, we were having that same kind of dialogue where, huh, what? You know, and we weren't connecting because I wasn't really paying attention because I was paying attention to the email or whatever was in front of me on my laptop there. She just walked over and just closed my laptop in the middle of what I was doing. I said, what are you doing? You can't just close my laptop. I'm a mighty man of God. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. No, no, no. So I was probably doing something. And I was like, what do you mean you can't close my laptop? She goes, you're not paying attention. Of course I'm paying attention. You're not paying attention. And so I, I slowed down enough to listen to her. And she explained to me what she meant by that. And from this day on, I close my laptop when anybody comes in my office. Because I can't do both. You probably can't do both either. But I know I can't do both. I know that either I'm going to read my email or I'm going to pay attention to the person. And, and I learned, and Marie helped me with that. She helped me to understand. I guess my studying of Marie wasn't good up to that point. But she helped me by saying, you know what? You need, you need to pay attention to me. And fortunately, it was just something simple like that where you need to pay attention to me. And so now that's a habit with everyone. To the best of my ability now, if somebody comes to my office and I'm working on something, I'll do one of two things. I'll say, can you wait a minute? Let me finish this. Then I give you my full attention because I'm in the middle of something. You walked in and I'm in the middle because I have an open door policy. You can walk around my office. So I'm in the middle of something. Or if I'm not in the middle of something, I will purposely close my laptop, get a piece of paper out usually to take notes, and give my full attention. And so it goes both ways, ladies. It's not, you know, don't sit there and go, wait a minute, he, he just needs to understand me. You can help us. In a very kind way, don't get all, you know, don't, don't use me as an example. Or go slamming computers. And, but that was very, it was, it was something that interrupted me enough to pay attention and reminded me that I do have an obligation to really pay attention to my wife, period. She needs to get my full attention when she wants to come and talk to me. Same with my kids. Same with the people that I serve with. People are more important than my computer. Or now, you know, that was before the iPad or the iPhone. You know, people are more important. I'm always reminding the pastors to keep their phones in their pockets because it's very hard to minister to someone when you're Facebooking and they're talking to you. I'm serious. It's just, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I read recently in an article, I'm tired of it, not just, not, don't think of it just like it's a major thing here. It's not, but I'm tired of it reading because 81% of, eight, they did a survey recently, I just read it yesterday, 81% of people think it's okay to interrupt a conversation with your phone. What that means is it's okay to interrupt with a phone call, with a text message, with a beep of Twitter, a beep of Instagram. A beep. I mean, if you set all your alerts, you're going to be beeping all day. Your battery's going to go dead by noon. This is going to be going, 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 and it can't be that important. And to give attention to people, to look them in the eye, to focus, and within the marriage, somehow Ekona just didn't have the connection of understanding. See, men, when our wives are enduring emotional pain, when our wives are going under personal strain, you might want to jot this down. Men, do you have your notes out? Do you have a pen out? You write it on your hand if you have to. Ladies, if you're with, write it on their hand. So get this, honey. Listen, this is powerful stuff. When our wives are enduring emotional pain, personal strain, they don't need reasons. They need understanding. Hey, I mean, come on. How can you be so bad? Am I not better than 10 men? No, man. You're great. You're not, you're, the 10 sons, you're great. But I want a son. I already got a husband. I want a son. I want a son. And while we personally as men cannot experience that feeling like a mom can, we certainly can ask God for wisdom and understanding the pain that our wives are enduring and not try to replace it with some platitude because I'm certain that they love you. They just want a son 
or they just are enduring this pain, or their mom just died, or they're going through, and you want to live and dwell, men, with your wives, with understanding. Something like, you know, I don't, under, I don't fully understand, but I'll just sit here and cry with you. Or I'll just sit here and hold you while you're crying. Or if you don't want me to be near you, I'll just, I'm going to be right over here, just a few feet from you while you're weeping and fasting. And you know what? I'm just going to sit over there and pray for you. I, won't, I, I respect you. I won't touch you right now. And you don't want me near you. I'm just going to be right over there. I'll be right near you. I'll stay close enough to you. And I'll respect you when you're going through all the stuff that you're going through. And I'll just pray God to give me understanding. This, something's disconnected too with Elkanah because this has been happening year after year. She's been going through this year after year. So there is some disconnect in him too. Well, I think he cares for her. Something's going on and you just don't want it to happen with you men. Verse 9. We're making great progress. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So you know, this is hard, horrible stuff. And men, I really hope, and listening, people listening in on the radio, and I, I really hope you never have to see your wife like this. I really hope you never have to deal with this kind of issue in your, in your marriage where your wife is in bitterness of soul and, and weeping in anguish. But that's where she's at. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Ed, we noticed today that Hannah was misunderstood by her husband, and he wasn't there for her like he could be. A question comes to mind. How can we love and support our spouse or loved one that's in a similar place as Hannah? Well, Larry, the the husband is told in the scriptures that our primary responsibility with our with our wives, is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And that, that's an agape love. That's a self-sacrificial love. That's a love that thinks of others more highly than ourselves. And, and if you're a husband uh, listening in and you have a difficulty in your marriage or a difficulty with your wife that she's hurting or emotionally responding to something and, and you can't quite connect because you, you don't have emotions in the same way. They don't come out in the same way like, they, like your wife's emotions. Uh, you respond to things differently. Uh, that's normal, but it's also not a reason to look down on your wife. It's not a reason to discourage her. It's not a reason to not help her, not come alongside of her. And one of the things you can do right away is, is begin to pray with her out loud, Asking God to touch the things in her lives that are that they're she's just wrestling with, pray with her, and then secondly, pray for her uh, constantly. You, you you will change, and your mind will change for the people you're praying for. God just does a supernatural work by the presence of the Holy Spirit through our prayers in changing our minds and changing our approach to those that we're praying for. So pray with her, pray for her. And then thirdly, be super careful with your words. Most of the time, it's better not to say anything, not to try to explain things away. Your wife isn't looking for an explanation. She's looking for comfort. And she's looking for empathy and care uh, and not an explanation. So trying to explain it away and, you know, just like Elkanah, aren't I more valuable than all kinds? You know, no, you're not. Um, you, you are... Uh, a man that that is challenged with 
loving your wife through a difficult time. But the good news is, is God meets us in those challenges and he helps us get through together. So God bless you as you seek to love your wife and submit yourself to the Lord. Thanks for sharing that, Ed. We're going through 1 Samuel with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Request a CD copy of the message or the entire series it was taken from when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or go to calvaryaurora.org and do a search for 1 Samuel. This month, we've picked out a very helpful resource designed for those who are experiencing a difficult season of life, like Hannah. It's called Help for the Troubled Heart, a series taught by Pastor Ed recently. These nine studies will lead you above the circumstances to God's greater purposes and plan for your life. And you'll be encouraged as you hear God's truth regarding the painful trials of life. We put them onto a USB thumb drive, making it super easy to take with you wherever you go and load onto your mobile device or computer or even listen on your way to work. Request Help for the Troubled Heart on the thumb drive when you call 877-30-GRACE. It's available for a gift of $25 or more. And we want to remind you that Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. To come to you day by day like this, it really takes a good number of people coming alongside of us. If you'd like to do that, please call 877-30-GRACE or go to calvaryaurora.org. We'll pick up where we left off in 1 Samuel next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And remember to look to Jesus in the midst of your difficulty, who is more than willing and able to shower you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora, Colorado. 